Ah, this trip has been so long. I'm tired and hungry. Hungry? What you hungry for? Knowledge. How about I feed you the history of the iconic restaurant, Howard Johnson's? Hojo's? I love Hojo's. I know you do, buddy. And so will all our listeners after they listen to today's episode, which is all about the iconic 20th century restaurant slash hotel slash iconic piece of Americana. Howard Johnson's on today's episode of This Was a Thing. This was a thing. Cigarette ads and Disneyland. This was a thing. Deborah and Bert kiss in the sand. Lana Turner kicks the bucket. Elvis Presley starts to sing. And Liz Taylor's many husbands were a thing. Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are looking at the wonderful franchise known as Howard Johnson's. Oh. It was a restaurant and a hotel, and it was one of the largest franchises in the United States. It pretty much created the first franchise. Now, before we begin, Mr. Hebel, did you ever stay at a Howard Johnson's? I think I missed out on Howard Johnson, but I know that it's a, it's referenced in so many films and movies. That would make sense because it sort of phased out right after you were born, and I'm wondering if there's a correlation between those two things. Did you ever eat at a Howard Johnson's restaurant? I don't think I did. Did you ever have one of their 28 ice cream flavors? I, I don't I don't think I I don't think I have. Well, folks, then I'm gonna introduce Ray today to the amazing world of Howard Johnson's. Now, this was a thing because I can think of no other story that features Bernie Sanders, <laughs> Marsha P. Johnson, Eugene O'Neill, Jacques Pepin. Connie Francis and the finance minister of Ghana, all in one amazing tale of consumerism. It was Connie Francis that threw it off from there being a second opportunity. Yeah, I got but it. She... I got it. <laughs> she got it. Now, what could unite them all? While well, it was one of the first franchises in the United States, Howard Johnson's, or as we affectionately call it, Hojo. Hojo. Let's go back to the beginning. Howard Johnson's was named after. Yes, you guessed it. A gentleman by the name of Jerry Newman. Newman. <laughs> A gentleman by the name of Howard Johnson, a small-time 27-year-old businessman living in Massachusetts. And in 1925, he was quite deeply in debt. You see, he owed $40,000 to his father's creditors. Dad's occupation was he sold cigars. And what would happen is, is that the cigars would come over from the Caribbean damaged. And the Caribbean was like, no, we're not going <laughs> to send you a refund. Oh, good. So dad were, apparently was not the best businessman. Dad died. And so guess what? Howard inherited the $40,000 worth worth of debt. Now, to start paying the money that he owed, Howard returned to work at a place called Walker Barlow, which is located on 89 Beale Street. If you're in Quincy, Massachusetts, that's the uh, Walston area of Quincy, Massachusetts. And it was a drugstore. And he had worked there previously as a young man, and then he begged the owner to take him back so he could make some extra money. Now, at this time, the drugstore owner was thinking of selling the store, and he offered Howard the opportunity to buy it. Working with the owner and his son, Howard, and the two men crafted a business deal that let Howard take over the ownership of the drugstore without paying any cash up front, just $500. So, oh, wow. pretty not, not a bad deal. Now, you might think of drugstore today as like, CVS or Dwayne Reed or one of those other thrifty thrifty 
Now, one of the corners, but it's not. It's a little different than what we remember it to be. One of the cornerstones of Americana is something that we just don't have anymore, and that was the drugstore. Not the CVS kind, but one where you could buy sundries, candies, and most wonderfully, a long counter where a man in white would serve meals as well as milkshakes, sundaes, and banana splits. These drugstores were the central hub of activities in most communities. It was a place where kids would gather and gossip and flirt and enjoy life. Well, that's what Howard purchased, one of those drugstores. And to his surprise, he was able to pay the money back quite fast because he found out that the soda machine in his drugstore was doing really good business. Now, Howard will most likely go down as one of the smartest businessmen in history because he knows he has to get people to keep coming back. And so he decided to create a new hand-cranked, all-natural ice cream recipe. Oh. What made his ice cream so good? Lots of butterfat content. You see, there was a 10% of butterfat content that could be in any ice cream, as stated by the law of Massachusetts. And Howard was a little bit of a rule breaker because he was putting a 19 to 22% Jeez. over at Hojo's. And he began making different flavors. Now, when he first took over the drugstore, there was just chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. But through his inventions, and we don't know if these were his mother's recipes or if he bought them off of an immigrant. We still don't know the answer to that. He created 28 different flavors wow. of ice cream. The wonderful world of 28 flavors from Howard Johnson's, and that included butter pecan, chocolate chip, peach, and strawberry ripple. Ooh. Uh, now, if you're curious, Baskin Robbins opened in 1945. So Howard Johnson was the first to be like, look how many flavors I got. Johnson also knew that beachfront property was nearby, and that meant in the summer months, people would be at the beach and they need to cool down, and maybe they were a little bit hungry. So he opened up various concession stands. Oh, wow. Which sold ice cream, sodas, and hot dogs, and surprise, he did very well for himself. He sold $60,000 worth of ice cream cones that summer. One Sunday, hottest Sunday probably in the summer, he sold 14,000 cones. How many Sundays? Uh, ironically, just one. <laughs> With all of the great stuff that he was doing, he was able to convince a few more lenders that it was time to maybe open his own restaurant. Because remember, all he has right now is the pharmacy, yeah. which is really just doing the ice creams and stuff. And these little concession stands and all across. And he paid off the debt by then, I'm guessing. Uh, most of it. Yeah. Most of it. He was at least able to pay off what he owned on the drugstore, and he was working his way towards paying off his debt. But he was debt. able to get a loan. Yeah, because they even because they were like, oh, yeah, this will probably end up being profitable. Sure, sure, sure. And so in 1929, he opened up the first Howard Johnson's Restaurant on Beale Street in Quincy, Massachusetts, and it focused on East Coast food. So he served roast turkey, steaks and chops, chicken pot pies, baked macaroni and cheese, baked beans, and the 28 flavors of ice cream, all for incredibly low prices. Yet Massachusetts had lots of amazing restaurants, so Howard Johnson's needed a boost. And boy, did it get one in 19... 29. In the arts, there is a term called band in Boston. Have you ever heard that term before? Band in Boston? I think so. Do you think you know what it means? Uh, that something couldn't be in Boston. Uh, very good. Do you know why? Oh, geez. I don't know. Well, Boston was a conservative, censor-happy city ah. that many shows and pieces of work were not allowed to be seen there. And so that's exactly what happened to a legendary playwright by the name of Eugene O'Neill, who wrote such amazing plays as Long Day's Journey and Tonight and The Iceman Cometh. Well, Eugene O'Neill wrote a play, an experimental five-hour play, <laughs> called Strange Interlude. This show so offended the mayor because it dealt with sex outside of marriage and abortion. He banned it in, in Boston, and instead of fighting the mayor, the producers decided we'll move the show to Quincy, 
Massachusetts, which is still close. And of course, once you censor something, then everybody wants to see what all the hullabaloo was about. And the show actually had a built-in dinner break because it was so long. Okay, at least there's that. And guess where the audience ate because it was so close to the theater? Oh. Howard Johnson's. Okay. And soon word began to spread about the great food, the cheap menu, and the 28 flavors. And hey, my friends, guess what Howard Johnson's instituted? A punch card system. And if you tried all 28 flavors and you got it checked off on your punch card, the next one would be free. Oh. Hey, so next time you go and get like a little punch card, you can thank Howard Johnson's for that. If you try all 28 flavors, your next flavor I would try is the icy insulin. Yeah. Wait a minute. You you you, you had all 28 flavors in one day? Yeah. <laughs> you feeling okay, Mr. O'Neill? Yeah. I'm just going to keep writing. <laughs> Are you going to ever come out of the bathroom? No, I'm okay. The ice man cometh. Talk about a strange interlude. <laughs> <laughs> now, Howard knew he had a good thing, and he wanted to expand his operation, but the stock market crash wouldn't let him, so he was also broke at this time. So he uh, bided his time, but in 1935, he got a friend named Reginald Sprague to open his own Howard Johnson's in Orleans, Massachusetts on his dad's land. It was about 80 miles away from the first Howard Johnson's. Now, the deal that they made was that this man, Reginald Sprague, could own the restaurant, but it would use Howard Johnson's menus Howard Johnson's recipes, Howard Johnson's decor, Howard Johnson's prices. And in May of 1935, what was created was one of America's first franchising agreements. Wow. Now, the project left Reginald $17,000 in debt, but fortunately, it was a pretty big success. And by the end of the summer of 35, the restaurant was serving as many as 700 meals per day. Holy shit. Not including ice cream. So yes, the next time you visit a McDonald's, Denny's, Arby's, or Taco Bell in more than one state, make sure to thank Hojo, Howard Johnson, and the decor of a Howard Johnson's. Well, Ray, you've never been in one, so how does one describe what you saw when you went into a Hojo's? And for that, we will thank a socialite named Sister Parish. Oh, good. She was a very big interior designer in Boston at this time, and Howard Johnson asked her to come and do the restaurant. And she had a vision, an aqua vision. Aqua walls, aqua uniforms, aqua placemats, all aqua, all the time. And there was the dairy bar, or the counter, where you could eat. Now, the company also had a very smart eye on children, because they started a birthday club where children signed up in advance and were sent birthday cards redeemable for a free meal, a cake, and if they were available in your location, balloons and lollipops. Wow. Now, the Springfield, New Jersey restaurant of Howard Johnson's, it sent out 10,000 cards one year, and they had a 50% return on those who came to take advantage of the birthday offer. They also created a little something called Kids Menus that had cheaper prices and smaller portions and activities. Wow. On the menu. So the next time you take a look at a children's menu and you have like a little word search on it or a, you know, a crossword, crossword puzzle, you can thank Howard Johnson's. By the end of 1936, there were 39 more franchised restaurants, creating a total of 41 Howard Johnson's restaurants. In like a six-year period. Yeah, and then by 1939, there were 107. Holy shit! Generating revenues of $10.5 million. That is a franchise network of over 10,000 employees serving 1.5 million people a year. That's crazy. But how do you identify something as part of a franchise? Sure, it might be the same name, but how do you know it's the same food and prices? Think of like something like Mel's Diner, mm-hmm. right? 
one Mel's Diner is going to be different from the next Mel's Diner. It's just a common name. What if it was all connected visually, not just the aqua interior, but the exterior so passing motorists would know, yeah, this is a Hojo's. So today when we see golden arches or a redheaded girl in pigtails, we know automatically the menu and the prices, right? And that's because of Hojo's ingenuity. Now, they'd all have the same fiberglass sign with the same font. They'd all predominantly feature the logo of Simple Simon and the Pieman. That was their logo. It was a Simple Simon. It was a silhouette of the people. And the tagline should Simple Simon seek a Pieman while going to the fair, he'd now head for a Johnson stand. Tis best. Small sign. Rhyming was not the best. And the buildings would always be triangular, and they would have orange roofs, cupolas, which is the triangular portion Bless of it. Bless you. And thank you. And weather vanes... So that way, no matter where you were driving on the road, you didn't have to go in. As soon as you saw that orange roof, you knew, oh, this is a Howard Johnson's. This is legitimate. If you advertised on billboards back then, you were kind of considered to be tacky and low class. Really? So they were like, how do we advertise without using a billboard? And that's where they were like, let's all do the same triangular roofs and let's all paint them orange. It's so funny that it used to be low class. Yeah, it was considered a little tacky in terms of advertising, especially for restaurants. Yeah. Like cars, I think I could understand. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah. But I think there was something about, oh, they have a billboard? But I know, it's just so common now that- Oh, I know. You know what I mean? It's I know. Just, it's so, it, that's what I've learned so much during this show, that things that are so common nowadays were just so odd. But I don't know. Over t- and and it is it, over time, obviously, but it is so funny to me that that is- if you're driving down a highway, you know, outside of California, you see so many. Oh, fucking, absolutely. So many. Fu- and it's always uh, in three exits ahead. You know what I mean? Like it's making sure you know that there's the restaurants in that area. Absolutely. But back then that was not. It's so That was funny. just not it. So now if you went inside the restaurant and once again, Ray, you never went inside in Howard Johnson. So I'll try to describe to the best of my ability. Rustic traditional seating was replaced with minimalist benches. Formica tabletops replaced wood tables. Okay. There were terrazzo floors, acoustic ceilings, birch trim, and pink tinted mirrors. Now, at the Formica counter, the dairy bar, there were orange stools. Orange stools. Orange stools. Like a stool sample. Never mind. <laughs> I, I was going to go there. The counter was a pretty big like communal area. A customer could have a quick snack, a cup of coffee, dish of ice cream like over at the counter as opposed to like sitting down having themselves a full quick in mirror. and out quick in and out right you got stuff to do but you need to you want you want just a snack and what was right behind that counter my friend eugene o'neill no a oh. mirrored blackboard displaying the simple simon and the pieman logo plus the 28 flavors of ice cream listed now in 1951 howard johnson introduced the clam strip to the public that's where an underage clam <laughs> <I'm> sorry <laughs> clam <laughs> Clams were shocked in there. I'm so sorry to a nice elderly person who wanted to walk down memory lane and search Tower Johnson's, and this is what they're listening to. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> I'm very sorry. I thought this was going to be a really interesting, informative episode. It's just gone off the rails. Now, clams were shocked, and their large digging muscles removed. They were then cut into thin strips and fried like a chicken tender. Since they were fried without their bellies, the sweet flavor was more appealing to a larger customer base they were trademarked as tender sweet clams so that was actually a big deal with howard johnson's especially if you didn't live on the east coast and you weren't close to water you didn't know what these things were and uh, once they were fried america loved them you know what they said when that all that process was happening in the mm. clams ah shucks
Another popular menu item was Howard Johnson's Grilled Frankfort. Not a Frankfurt, a Frankfort. It was an all-beef Frankfurter that was clipped at both ends. This was done by Howard's friend who was a rabbi. I was going to say. Notched uh, lengthwise and grilled in creamery butter. They were then placed in a butter-toasted roll (laughs) and served in a paper sleeve. Here's a little Howard Johnson's commercial for you to invoke some nostalgia. On the road around the corner, here's the place to go. The orange root of Howard Johnson's, join the folks who know. Good food, good fun, kids count too. 28 flavors just for you at Howard Johnson's. Next up, Howard Johnson's. Next up, The business grew. Johnson realized that the best way to standardize the food was to centralize the cooking and deliver partly prepared food to the restaurants with information on completing preparation, heating, and serving. He also prepared what was referred to as the Johnson Bible. It offered instructions on everything from cooking to equipment maintenance, staff uniforms, and serving methods. One thing that Howard Johnson could not anticipate was World War II, and because gas was being rationed, that meant less people on the road, which meant less business. And by 1944, only 12 as Howard Johnsons were in operation. Oh, wow. Which is a shame because he had just won right before the war exclusive rights to serve drivers at service station turnoffs through the turnpike systems of New Jersey, Connecticut, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Wow. So when they were building the turnpikes, he bid and it's like i want my restaurant to be exclusive on these turnpikes and they were like we can make that happen so during the war while he was waiting for the war to end he served food to army workers and recruits and when the war ended he began rebuilding his empire and in 1947 200 new hojos were opening up across the country in 1949 he sold more than three million gallons of ice cream 85 percent of which were vanilla chocolate or strawberry and then by 1951 sales totaled $115 $115 million. And that's 1951 that's money. That's 1951 money. One of Howard's strengths was seeing how a company could become stale and need to evolve. From three flavors of ice cream to 28, from one restaurant to 400. He noticed that his restaurants were all built along turnpikes, which meant traveling, which meant people need to sleep somewhere. So if they trusted the brand enough visually to pull over and eat, would they trust the brand enough visually to pull over and sleep. And in 1954, down on Route 17 in Savannah, Georgia, Hojo opened the first motor lodge or motel, as we would later call it. Now, the first motel was actually built, not Howard Johnson's related, but was built in 1925 in San Luis Obispo, California. But the main differences between a hotel and a motel are usually that the motel has no interior corridors. It's a little bit more rustic in nature and has an extensive parking lot where you could see your car from your room. Question. Yes. Uh, Were the motels franchised as well? Yes. Okay. So you could could franchise the motel as well. Yeah. Here's another commercial, this time for the hotel. Howard Johnson's, Howard Johnson's, they've got more, they've got more. Different kinds of ice cream, red balloons and hot dogs, burgers too, burgers too. Splashing pools and swimming, great big things for dunking, dry in bed for sleepy head. Twisting up spaghetti, luscious licking lollies, crayon spoon. Kangaroo! Present celebrations, menus you turn into hats and trucks, hats and trucks. Howard Johnson, Howard Johnson, 
under the orange roof at Howard Johnson's, kids have more to be hungry for. More to be thirsty for. Sleepy for. Happy for. The architecture for the motels would be done by the same guy who did the restaurant. And now the pieman, Simple Simon, had a friend, a lamplighter. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. They're confirmed bachelors. <laughs> they live in a one bedroom in West Hollywood. <laughs> Jeffrey does his best to take care of Simple Simon the best he can. <laughs> Happy New Year, Ray. Happy New Year, Rob. Any resolutions? Yeah, to be more generous. You? Same. I wonder if any of our listeners wish to be more generous, too. Well, listeners, if generosity is on your resolution list, head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And search for This Was a Thing and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar helps us. Your contributions help us continue doing what we're doing. And if your resolution is to get rid of all your fatty foods and start a healthy diet, please mail me all fatty foods courtesy of the UPS store on Amsterdam Avenue. Stop N- that. Mm. May this year bring you happiness, health, and Howard the Duck. Miss Cleo foresees a wonderful year ahead. The cards don't lie. In 1959, Howard looked around and he saw 605 Howard Johnson restaurants that he had created. 265 of them were company-owned. 340 of them were franchised. 88 motels in 32 states. And he decided in his early 60s, the company would survive with new blood. And the Hojo chain was now in the hands of his son, 26-year-old Hojo Jr., Literally, his name was Howard Johnson Jr. Some new ideas began to be Im- implemented, like Dior-designed uniforms, and some ideas which are still with us today. Now, don't worry. If you didn't know Hojo Jr., he and his sister and his grandma were in a lot of the original ads oh. for Hojo's. So here are some of the changes that started to go in. Even though Hojo Jr. was running things, Hojo Sr. was still always lurking in the background. Sure. And in 1961, a couple of big things happened. One, Hojo went public on the New York Stock Exchange. And Howard Johnson Sr. brought two young chefs from New York that he really liked in to revolutionize and rebrand a lot of the food that they were dealing with. And those people were Pierre Frunet, best known today as the 60-Minute Gourmet, and Jacques Pepin, the famous chef uh, from Mm -hmm. the Complete Pepin. And they were brought in, like I said, to change the menu. But the big thing was they were finding ways of freezing the food. So no matter where you ate it, it tasted the same. Wow. Which meant maybe... You could sell it to a consumer because TV dinners were popular back then. Here's a little frozen food commercial from Howard Johnson's. The home of good, good food is Howard Johnson's. Now have Howard Johnson's good, good food at home. Howard Johnson's is such a friendly place to have good food. And the next best thing to eating out at Howard Johnson's is eating out at home with Howard Johnson's frozen foods. Howard Johnson's now takes tender, ocean-fresh fillets of haddock and bakes them in a rich cheddar and tomato sauce, then quick-freezes them for you to serve in minutes. And there are so many other Howard Johnson's frozen foods at your grocer's now. Howard Johnson's delicious macaroni and cheese, shrimp croquettes with a sherry Newberg sauce, chicken croquettes with a creamy fricassee sauce, and more. The home of good, good food is Howard Johnson's. Now have Howard Johnson's good, good food at home.
1964, Howard B. Johnson, that's the son, he introduced a reservation system that linked all the lodges. So travelers could book as they went from lodge to lodge, or if one lodge was completely full, the reservation operator could help them locate the next closest lodge where there was a room to stay. Now, it seemed like Hojo's was now an American institution, and like all institutions, a little controversy was going to rear its ugly head. Howard Johnson, like many other restaurants in the 1950s, was segregated. And when a black man walked into the Hojo's in Dover, Delaware, and was quickly refused service, it became an international crisis because the man turned out to be the finance minister of Ghana, Kamla Videma. The incident began when Videma and his secretary, both dressed in business suits, pulled up to the Howard Johnsons as night fell. They went up to the counter. They each ordered a glass of orange juice for 30 cents each. They were handed the juice in containers, wrapped for them to carry outside, and they said, well, we want to sit in the restaurant and eat. And the waitress said, you can't because, quote, colored people are not allowed to eat in here. Videma protested to the manager and showed him a card that identified him as the finance minister of Ghana, the first West African nation to gain independence from Britain, Videma said to the manager, the white people here are of a lower social status than I am, but they can drink here and we can't. You can keep the orange juice and the change from the dollar bill, but this is not the last you've heard of us. President Eisenhower had to issue an apology, but the damage was done because soon Hojo's became a logical, viable place for protests and sit-ins. Some even organized by a student at the University of Chicago named... Bernie Sanders. We're going to the Hojo's. Bernie, do you want to come here and sit and protest? Hold on, hold on. What do you mean there's only 28 flavors? <laughs> Let me guess. The top 1% is going to get the best flavors. Who wants peach? No one wants peach. No one wants peach. This hot dog tastes buttery. <laughs> Hojo's actually, in its defense in 1962, issued a joint letter with the NAACP and CORE saying that the process of segregation was atrocious and it would be corrected as fast as it possibly could. A lot of other businesses were not that uh, yeah. willing to, to change. Now, while Hojo's was not always welcoming to the black community, it was always welcoming to the queer community, especially in New York. In 1966, there was a law about being unable to serve gays at bars. So a few gay men organized what was known as a sip-in, S-I-P, as opposed to a sit-in, where they went to Hojo's, which at this time was known as a gay cruising area. They were served without a problem. And then headed over to a bar, said that they were gay, and refused service. So the meeting up at Howard Johnson's, and then when they went over to Julius's bar, was a pretty iconic moment in queer history. And the iconic queer pioneer, known as Black Marsha, changed their name to Marsha P. Johnson. Oh. The Johnson from Hojo's. Oh. But despite... All of these little controversies. In 1965, Hojo sales exceeded those of McDonald's, Burger King, and Kentucky Fried Chicken combined. Wow. Howard Johnson's was the second largest food feeder in the United States, second only to the Army. Oh, I love their food, though. The Army's food? MREs. You ever have uh, an MP's chicken parm? <laughs> so good. Now, we're going to talk a little bit of the beginning of the end of Hojo's, because if you're a millennial, you probably don't remember it as vividly as I'm sure maybe your parents do. In the 1970s, Hojo's were dealt some pretty big blows. One was out of their control. The other is not so much. In 1974, an oil embargo forced travelers to stop traveling, and 85% of the 1,000 restaurants and 500 motels businesses were was travelers. It's not their fault. Plus, McDonald's was beating them at their own game with cheaper, faster foods. Once again, not their mm -hmm. fault. Security 
at Hojo's, however, was getting to be a major concern in the 1970s. Two events happened both at the same New Orleans Hojo's. In 1971, two irate guests were told that they could not bring girls to their room. So to retaliate, they set fire to the hotel. Oh, my God. Killed six people. And some guests tried to escape by swinging down the four stories from balcony to balcony. And a year and a half later at that same hotel in New Orleans, Hojo's, a Black Panther used the roof as a sniper shootout point, and he killed three police officers, the hotel's general manager, the assistant general manager, and a couple that was on their honeymoon, not to mention tons of people that were struck on the street below and survived. And Unfortunately, in 1974, their most infamous crime occurred when the singer Connie Francis, who's best known as the first lady of rock and roll, she was sexually assaulted at a Howard Johnson's and she sued and she won a $2.5 million lawsuit. By 1975, Howard Johnson Sr. was dead and Hojo Jr. was trying to figure out ways to cut costs. So he cut down on employees and he made cheaper foods, which kind of counteracted the brand's original intentions. And customers, now with many other identical operations, started to go elsewhere. So finally in 1979, Johnson couldn't really do much more and he sold Howard Johnson's to Imperial Group for $630 million. And in return, they got 1,040 restaurants, 75% company-owned, 25% franchise, okay. and 520 motor lodges. Once again, 75% franchised, 25% company-owned. Then a few years later, Imperial sold that company to Marriott in 1986, and they in turn sold the motor lodges, only the motor lodges, mm-hmm. and the Hojo logo to Prime Motor Inns. Does that make sense? They're going to mm-hmm. keep the restaurants for themselves, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marriott, but they sold the hotels to Prime Motor Inn. And then there was a rebranding. Here's a commercial from 1988 showing that Howard Johnson's was now rebranded. This is a change. This is new. Howard Johnson, can this be you? This is Howard Johnson today. This is Howard Johnson today. This is Howard Johnson today. But like I said, Marriott kept the restaurants. Why? Well, the restaurants were in prime areas on those turnpikes, remember? And Marriott owned Bob's Big Boy and Roy Rogers, and they decided those would go inside those locations, except franchised operations would stay Howard Johnson's. In 1990, Prime Motor Inn, they ceased operations. A new group emerged, some from the company and some from the franchises, and they created the Howard Johnson Acquisition Corporation, and they merged and merged until it eventually became the property of Wyndham, who used the name but not on anything that looked like Hojo's in the past. So now you might see Howard Johnson Express Inns, Howard Johnson Inns, Howard Johnson Hotels, and Howard Johnson Plaza Hotels, each of them depending on the location ranging from limited service motels to full service properties with like concierges and like business centers, Howard hand jobs. And so depending on which of those Howard Johnsons you would go into, it would always be the same thing like Howard Johnson's Express Inn, a Wyndham Corporation. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, Wyndham totally. was always there. Sure. But they were now just using the yes. name. And so eventually what they did was they had multiple price tiers, depending on which location you were staying in. And by 2015, they got rid of it. And as of today, as of 2022, there's only about 300 locations that have that's a Howard Johnson's hotel, mm-hmm. but it's literally a Wyndham hotel. Yeah. The restaurant, on the other hand, it struggled more because the franchised restaurants assumed they would not be able to survive. So the franchisers banded together and created Franchise Associated Incorporated. Marriott was like, that's fine. You're franchised. It's fine. And they were like, you can keep using the logo. Okay. So, so, the, so Marriott was to the franchisers were not like, hey, we want to get involved. Sadly, though, they did not have a lot of money left to rebrand or even expand. So by 2005, only eight Howard wow. Johnson restaurants were left. And by 2022, only one was left in Lake George, New York, but it had bad reviews, a menu that looked nothing like Hojo's, and its owner was sitting in prison for harassing employees. Despite their tagline in Lake George of last one standing, in March of 2022, it closed its doors and a 97-year journey, one that changed how Americans travel, eat, sleep, and trust brands, faded into the past. And that's the story of Howard Johnson's. Our thoughts when we come back. This was a thing, this was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. So, Dad, listen, I think I know a way of merging the restaurant brand and the hotel brand together. Pitch it to me fast, son. I'm trying to explain clam bellies to Jacques Pepin. Okay, we do a motel-flavored ice cream. So we want flavors that automatically make you think of our motel. And uh, here are a few. Furniture in not mint condition. No. Strawberry mattress stains. No. Very, very nervous there's a drug deal next door. Only in Tampa. Pistachio on the walls. Have someone clean it up. Broken cable box of chocolates. No. Moose tracks of blood. That concerns me. Freeze HBO. Nothing free. Mini bar bottle of rum raisin. On the wagon. Lemon and lawsuit. Bible. Peanut butter. Shouldn't there be a smoke alarm? We have one. Needs batteries. Cummy ashtray. Cummy ashtray. Small bottle of hair gel lotto. Stretch. Rocky road to get here. Truth, you speak truth. Dolce de Gideon's Bible. Closer. Crusty sheets of caramel. No. Chocolate chip cookie doughy feeling mattress. No. The assaulted caramel. Very no. The assaulted peanut. Very funny. Excuse me, sir. I didn't order this film, Raspberry Coolie. No movies, no TV, no coolie. Okay, and finally, tutti fruity, my towels are sooty. Now you can get it in a normal size or stay at the bottom of the bathtub sized. Call Marriott. I'm ready to sell. Thank you. This was a sketch. So, Ray, after I have bored you maybe with my, my no. Howard Johnson's... Uh, <laughs> no! No! My, my Howard Johnson story. Do you wish you could have gone to a Howard Johnson's? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm curious what the food was like. And plus, 28 ice cream flavors. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. And Mr. Johnson, like, he would swap them out. So, like... Uh, maybe one flavor would go away and be replaced by another, but there was always 28 available on the menu. I ate at a Howard Johnson's in New York once in my life. It was one like in the in the theater district, uh, and the ice cream was quite good. How long ago is it? Uh, maybe the early 2000s, because okay. that one in New York closed in 2005. That one was a pretty big one because it was on 8th Avenue, and I know someone's going to correct me. I want to say like 44th or 45th Street, but that was a major location for like actors auditioning and like waiting for you know, callbacks and stuff that they would all go down to the Howard Johnson's, and just like they could sit at the counter and, and you know relax and eat. But I think there's so many, you know, 
franchises today that owe so much to Howard Johnson's. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy how much they started. I mean, you know, the punch card thing. The punch it, card, know. the children's menus. But most of all, the franchise. Now, I'm sure he wasn't the first person to franchise, but it was probably the first one that we know as being incredibly that, that successful. That blew up, yeah. That blew up. I mean, think about it. And he was so smart to come up with this idea of, hey, listen, I can't afford to open a restaurant, but you can, mm-hmm. and I'll just give you all of my my stuff and you know you can you can buy it off of me so mr sprague also worked itself out pretty well so i love this story because it started off with somebody who was totally in debt his father had just died he had he had a he had a family to support he had nowhere to go and from out of this he created an amazing experience that unites so many people because when you speak to a lot of older people they have memories of going to the howard johnson's or you know we, we're so used to now being like oh i'm just going to go on like expedia or airbnb and just like book that way oh yeah but think about you're traveling down the highway you don't have those accesses you don't know where you and are and i was thinking like how you know you, you book everything online or through your phone now and stuff and yeah. it's like you know going through and driving and seeing howard johnson with a vacancy sign probably was oh I'm, some, i can't tell you how many people probably were more relieved than they've ever been in their life seeing a vacant howard johnson sign absolutely seeing that orange roof mm-hmm. you know just seeing that and knowing ah this is what we're going to get. That's pretty revolutionary. No, so absolutely. once again, I wish I would have spent more time at a Howard Johnson's. I really, I've really enjoyed doing the research on this episode. Okay, I have an idea. So what if we put this machine in that made the bed shake? Oh, actually, that is a Howard Johnson really? thing. Yes, they used to. Uh, yeah, he put in the magic fingers. Oh, good. And they got rid of it because I don't know if, if you kids remember this out there, but some hotels had this thing where like you'd put some quarters in a machine near the bed and the bed would vibrate. It was like the magic fingers. Did you ever do that as a kid? I never got to stay in one, but I've seen it in plenty of comedy movies. Oh, they were horrible. But Howard Johnson, I think in the late 70s, finally got rid of them because people were stealing the coin boxes. Of course. Well, friends, if you can think of some Howard Johnson's uh, memories or photographs you want to share with us on social media, please do so. We'd love to hear your memories of Howard Johnson's. And if you ate these clam strips, if you ate this ice cream or had a nice buttery hot dog, uh, hit us up and let us know because we never got to experience this beautiful culinary treat and dessert. Now I think it's time to bring on our good friend Mark Schroeder, who's literally slept in a Howard Johnson's last night, to just get a little flavor of all of this. He's going to come on and uh, play a game with us. Take it away, Mark! This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a This Was a Quiz. With Mark Schroeder. Mark Schroeder, had you ever gone to a Howard Johnson's, either the restaurant or the hotel? I know. Unfortunately, heard about it for all my life, but I'd never uh, been to one. Did you ever know anyone named Howard Johnson? Well, it's funny you should ask, because this game I got cooked up here is not about Howard Johnson's. It's about famous Howard's and famous Johnson's in the world. Oh. All right, Ray, show them. I was going to (laughs) say. So this game is called Hey. How are your Johnson doing? Oh, very quickly. Thank I, you. I worked at a community theater, and the guy that ran it was named Dick Johnson. You can't do that. That's double negative. <laughs> Never has a name been more appropriate. Uh, you guys are competing against each other in this game. You're going head to head separately. So this isn't a speed round. Take it at your own Johnson pace. Johnson to Johnson. We're going to see who can who can get the most right of their ten of their of mm-hmm. their select answers. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a famous clue related to a famous Howard or a famous Johnson. And you guys got to give me the correct answer. And the winner gets to rename the loser either Howard or Johnson. It's nothing personal, buddy. It's nothing personal. So you guys get to decide okay. who goes first. You go, Ray. Okay. Wait, I think you, yeah, you go first. I'll go first. Okay, here we go. He dated 
Olivia de Havilland, Janet Lee, and Ava Gardner, to name just a few. Uh, Derek Johnson. Incorrect. This was Lyndon B. Johnson's middle name. Uh, Bain, uh, 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 Baines. Lyndon Baines yes, Johnson. Yes, yeah. that is correct. Howard Cassell spent 32 years as a sports journalist and broadcaster for this network. Uh, CBS. ABC. ABC. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was born in which U.S. state? Hawaii? California. Howard is the secret first name of this author who wrote The Call of Cthulhu. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft, yes. Between 1926 and 1940, he directed 40 films, including Bringing Up Baby, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and Rio Bravo. Did Howard Hawk? That is correct. Howard Hawks. Hawks. Yeah. This was Don Johnson's character's name on the 1980s TV hit Miami Vice. Uh, Derek Johnson. James Sonny Crockett. Don Johnson Crockett. was the Johnson. Crockett, Crockett and Tubbs. Crockett and Tubbs. That was three, three of seven. Rob? Yeah, that's pretty bad. These are not no. easy. No, Let's I know. This is got. hard. Okay, see I'm ready. Got. I'm ready. Howard Stern began a 20-year career at WXRK in New York City in what year? Oh, fuck. WXR? 1988. 1985. I was going to say 86. This is NBA superstar MJ. Michael Jordan. Oh, Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Howard is the middle name of this physician, serving as the junior U.S. senator from Kentucky since 2011. Mitch McConnell. Nope, junior. Rand Paul. Oh, Marvel Comics character who had a disastrous 1986 cinematic debut. Howard the Duck. That is correct. Lady Bird Johnson was born with this first name. Uh, what? <laughs> Lady Bird Johnson, the first lady. Linda. Claudia. Everybody Come remember. on. Nobody, nobody, Claudia Johnson. <laughs> everybody remembers. Boris Johnson, former prime minister of the United Kingdom, was born in this city. Uh, London. New York City. What, really? Mm-hmm. Only two American companies hold a triple-A credit rating, which is one grade above the U.S. government itself. Johnson & Johnson and this tech company. A tech company? Procter & Gamble? Microsoft. Oh. Microsoft. Procter & Gamble, a tech company? No. No. <laughs> Say, what tech kind company? of computer do you have? Oh, Turkey Hill Ice Cream? <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, let's see. So you did not get that. You I got Magic Johnson. You didn't get Rand Paul. You got Howard the Duck. No Claudia. You didn't get New York City. And you didn't get... So, Mr. Ray, you are the winner with what? three to Rob's two. What? You wow. are the victor in this Howard wow. Johnson game. God, you were not good at that one. No, I was not. Congratulations, Mr. Heal. Thank you. Three out of three that out was a seven. Tough That's one. There's our 50. Howards and there are Johnsons out there, but nobody knows a fucking thing about them. No. I'm surprised you didn't ask about the most famous Howard of all. My father. Oh my God, Mr. Schneider, I am sorry. See, I call him we Howie. We apologize. That's why I call him Howie. Howie. I say how how. Can't say that anymore, man. <laughs> I called I called Howard Johnson Howie Joe. <laughs> hey ho, Joe. Howie All Joe. right, my friends, if you have any memories about going to a Howard Johnson's or if you tried their fried clam strips, which we're all trying to figure out what they tasted like, let us, I know, <laughs> Mark, I'm sorry, let us know. Uh, you can reach out to us at uh, This Was A Thing Pod on Instagram or the website, www.thiswasathing.com. And go on to Patreon if you like what we're doing. Give us some money. It helps us pay people like Mark for these wonderful games and Cut Cut Schwartzberg for some great editing. And um, Ray has a hemorrhoid, so he sits a lot. And so we got him a rubber donut. Hey, my donut. Yeah. And we got to get Diet Coke for Rob. Yeah. But mostly the donut for Ray's huge hemorrhoid. Pretty big. It's like one of those things that's like a... Okay. Like, Look. You ever see like this big yoga ball they give you? Yeah, it's like I that. I push too hard with the fart. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cut-Cut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was a Thing Pod and Facebook. We are This Was a Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors, and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was a Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 